Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast at UT Belfast. We hope you enjoy as you join with us on Sunday mornings and listen in as we seek to inspire our church and the people of our city to encounter Jesus and just love it with the biggest heart of compassion possible. Hey church, we are in part four of our collection of talks, Fresh Humanity. And today I'm going to continue with our reading through Ephesians by reading Ephesians 2 verses 11 to 22 in the NIV and it says this. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside his flesh, the law, with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God, through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and he preached peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Well, 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 good morning. Good morning, how you doing? Ah, we believe you. Thanks, Stephen. You're definitely the most vocal person in the room and I appreciate that. How are the rest of you under those masks? I can see you, don't, don't, don't act like you're hiding in here. We haven't met before. Uh, my name is Ryan and uh, as Beth said so well, big thanks to Beth uh, for reading those verses. As Beth said, we're in week four of this collection of talks entitled Fresh Humanity fresh humanity uh, walking through uh, the letter to the church uh, in Ephesus, the Ephesians. It's in the New Testament. And uh, for us to really grasp these verses and what it is that Paul might be saying to this church in Ephesus and the churches around it, we need to understand the context correctly, we need to understand what's going on. So we're going to deep dive into that in order that we can understand today what it is that God might be saying to us sometime later as a body of believers, what he might have been saying to these believers in these churches at this time in Ephesus. Are you all right with that? Good, good. I, uh, I said in the first service this morning, I didn't sleep lots last night, tossed and turned uh, because I'm so excited uh, that we uh, get to be together today, but also to, to share uh, some, some things from God's Word. Really genuinely, I'm excited about it. Do it regularly, but uh, I think this week we've seen uh, that some, one day you can be a barista making coffee and the next day you can be told you need to uh, pull your shutters down. One day you can be working back in the office getting to know people 
people again, all over again, and be told by the end of the week, you're out and working from home again. And I'm grateful that we weren't included in those uh, restrictions and we get the opportunity, because that's what it is, an opportunity to be together, to come around God's word, to be of benefit and encouragement to one another. Even if I can't high five you, even if I can't hug you or you can't hug the person on your left or on your right, your very presence can encourage somebody else more than you will ever know. Ephesians is a small uh, letter, six chapters. It's a small, what would be understood as circular letter, not circular in shape, but it was a letter written by Paul the Apostle. Most scholars would believe that it was written from prison. And a circular letter means that it was going to one, uh, more than one location. So in the same way that you would write an email to multiple persons, this letter that Paul was writing was going to a circular, a smaller group of churches, believers who were following Jesus in Asia Minor. Modern day Ephesus is uh, the west coast of Turkey. So is a place. It was going to a group of uh, churches there. It was to encourage them, to strengthen them, to help them think about God and then to call them to a lifestyle and to a standard that they were, they were to live to. Now, to understand these verses correctly, we need to get a glimpse, only a small glimpse, into the climate of Ephesus when Paul wrote this letter. So Ephesus was the third or fourth largest city of the Roman Empire after Rome, Alexandria, and possibly Antioch of Syria, as well as being the capital city of the province of Asia since the time of Augustus. The estimated uh, population at the time was between 200,000 and 250,000, so a quarter of a million people. And it's estimated that the Jewish population in Ephesus was between 5 to 10%. So that means that in a quarter of a million people, there was 10,000 to 25,000, somewhere in between there. So we're going to shoot today for about 17,000 people who were of Jewish origin, born as Jews. Jews present in the city often experienced persecution for their faith. In addition to this, the emperor's cult was present. The political dimension was limited to some degree by the emphasis on Artemis in, in Ephesus, but the Roman power and presence was everywhere. This meant the bringing together Jews and Gentiles, Gentiles are anyone who's not born a Jew, the, the, to try and bring together Jews and Gentiles was going to be obvious and was going to be restricted and was going to be hindered and was going to be a wrestle. Does any of those words ring a bell? Restricted, hindered, challenging, complicated, complex. This meant that bringing them together was going to be a challenge because the worship of deities, honor in the emperor, were celebrations tied to such duties. Here's a bunch of Jews uh, approximately 17,000 of them in a city of a quarter of a million people. And as a result of simply being born and being born a Jew, they were persecuted for following uh, the Torah, living out Old Testament law. They were being persecuted. Many of them had now followed the way of Jesus. They'd heard about a Messiah who'd come. They'd heard about Jesus, the savior of the world. They then began to follow the way. And coincidentally, also now Gentiles, those who were not Jews, who were in this city of Ephesus, were now also hearing about this person, Jesus of Nazareth, who was indeed the Messiah to come, who as a result of what he did, he beat death, hell, and the grave. As a result of what he did, now these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people, could also approach God and have salvation 
found in none other but the person of Jesus. And now they are to be together as a church. Here's Jews who were once persecuted by the same people, now in the same church trying to pursue this person called Jesus all together. You can begin to understand the complexity and the intensity of this situation. And so we pick up these verses today in Ephesians chapter two. And I don't know about you, but we need the help of the Holy Spirit to help us understand what's going on. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would invade our hearts with your love, permeate every part of our being with your word, Lord, that we would hear you clearly today. We'd hear your voice clearly today. Speak to the very depths of who we are, Lord God. I pray that you would allow these words to transcend time and space, Lord God, and that they would speak to us in, as individuals, as a church, as a collective, as a body in this very moment, in this very climate of today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. I wonder if you've ever been in an environment where you've been with somebody, you've seen one of your friends or you've seen somebody that you know, you're you then go and you're talking to them and then you try and introduce these two people who you're now with and you sense that it's a bit off. It's a bit awkward. Like you're like, do you know each other? And the two of them are like, mm, yeah. You're starting to understand that they um, you know, really get along and then you hear something like, oh yeah, yeah, we used to work together and you're like, oh, right, okay. Or we, yeah, yeah, we, were, we went to school together for years or we were in the same class or we did the same thing or and you're starting to understand in that awkward moment, you're maybe stood in a queue for a coffee shop, you can't go anywhere else, you're just standing there being like, all right then, oh, this is awkward. Ground, swallow me up right about now. You're stood right there in the middle of it all. And these people are kind of like, it's very clear that not only do they not like each other, they can't stand each other. And here's you being a lovely little bridge of awkwardness. Oh, come on. Sure, you know, you went to the same school. How would you not? You obviously do know them. You're just pretending like you don't because you don't want to have to engage with them or speak to them or anything remotely related to that other person. This, um, I've understood over time would be this phrase. You walk away, you're wondering, what just happened there? What was going on? You walk away, you're a bit perplexed by it, you're a bit confused by it. And then what you understand is this phrase, they have bad blood. You ever heard that phrase before? Oh, they've, they have a bit of bad blood. Now for a long time, I never really understood what that meant. Bad blood, what's that mean? You can't give blood? Like what, what, what do you... You got tattoos or something? What do you mean, bad blood? What, what? Bad blood? And over time, I've understood this phrase, and as a result of Google, as hostility, animosity, enmity, ill feeling, or friction. It's an awkward feeling. There's also a show on Netflix called Bad Blood and a Taylor Swift song called Bad Blood, but bad blood was long around before Taylor Swift ever came on the scene. Before Jesus, humanity's connection with God could be summed up in this phrase, bad blood. And so if you're taking notes today, I want you to write that down, bad blood. A people, a Jewish people, the nation of Israel called, chosen, set apart by God. His people time and time again turned their back on God, could not uphold the religious law, sacrificed to the Lord in order to atone for their sin time and time again. But it wasn't until Jesus beat death, hell and the grave would God not only redeem Israel, but redeem all of the people on the earth, purchased through what? His 
blood. Bad blood turned on its head because of Ephesians 2.13, which is gonna be on the screen. But now in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. No longer animosity, no longer enmity, no longer ill feeling, no, more, no longer friction, no longer hostility. But instead, as a result of the blood of Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And here's Paul the Apostle writing into this context of believers, saying as a result of the blood of Jesus, as a result of what he's accomplished, God is indeed creating one new humanity, a fresh humanity, a totally new people. And so Paul unpacks this new type of blood and its implications. No longer are we facing hostility, animosity, enmity, ill feeling, or friction. Instead, we are facing what? So we're gonna walk through these verses and understand the implications of the blood of Jesus. If you're squeamish, I'm sorry. <laughs> the first thing I wanna share with you from these verses is that the old has gone. Turn to your socially distant neighbor and say, the old is gone. Come on, I can see you under those masks. You can be socially distant. You don't have to be socially awkward. The old has gone. We're gonna read Ephesians 2, 11 to 13. It's gonna be on the screen. Ephesians 2, 11 to 13. It says, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, Remember, notice that word, there's two remembers already, that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Can you begin to grasp these verses? You begin to grasp the words that are being used? Remember two times, there's a specific emphasis on casting your mind backwards, remembering, remembering what? Remembering what it was like to be separate, remembering what it was like to be excluded and remembering what it was like to be foreign, a foreigner of the covenant. Remember what it was like to be separate, excluded and a foreigner of the covenant. Not only that, but remember what it was like to live, out with, live without hope and with out God. These verses continue. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, prior to Jesus, you and I were condemned in our sin. Well, what do you mean? We were separate, separate, well, was I? Separate from Christ, absolutely. You were excluded and you were a foreigner to the covenant without hope and without God. Well, it doesn't feel like without hope. If you're without God, you're without hope. That was our reality. That was what we walked in. Well, I grew up a good person. We were born inherently sinful. So apparently, apparently you might've been nice, but it doesn't mean you were good. Good itself does not dwell in us. We were born separate, excluded, and a foreigner of the covenant, without hope and without God. And in verse 13, as Paul continues to write to this church in Ephesus, he's painting the picture of what their reality was 
Remember what it was like to live like that. Remember what it was like to feel like that. Remember what it was like to be excluded. Remember what it was like to be, a, to be separate. Remember what it was like to be a foreigner of the covenant. Remember what it was like to be without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. That actually as a result of what Jesus has done, as a result of his blood, not, host, not hostility, not animosity, not enmity, not ill feeling, not friction, but the blood of Jesus as a result of his death, burial and resurrection, the old has gone that old way of living has gone. That old way of living has gone. That old way of thinking, thinking has gone. No longer do you live here, but instead as a result of the blood of Jesus, the best in Christ is yet to come. The old has gone. For some of us, the old represents shame, guilt, anger, condemnation. For others, it represents something much more subtle, but just as deathly and just as, uh, just as important for us to wrap our minds around emptiness. No purpose. Numb. No hope. But now in Christ, you have been brought near to God because of what Jesus has done, because of his blood. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. I want to declare to you today that the old has gone in your life. That you're the, the things that Christ paid for on the cross, he paid for once and for all. Don't be silly enough to try and tie yourself up again. Jesus has freed you once and for all. The old has gone. The new creation has arrived on the scene. You're not just a Mark II, a version of your old self. You're a totally new creation as a result of what Jesus Christ has done. If anyone, everybody say anyone. Come on, say anyone. That means the person who's walked past with their dog. That, per that means the person who slept in for the park run, so they're doing it today. That means the person who didn't get out of bed. That means the person who sat on your left and on your right. That means the person who can't really be bothered today to come to church. If anyone, anyone, anyone is in Christ, anyone whatsoever is in Christ, the old has gone. They are a new creation in Christ Jesus. So you can... You can bet today that that includes you. The old has gone. And 1 Corinthians 2, 6 says, for who can know the, the, the Lord's thoughts? It feels like, whew, it feels like a big task. Who can know his thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? It feels like a rhetorical question to which we would all say no one. But then Paul keeps writing. He said, but we understand these things. For we have the mind of Christ. What does that mean? That means that once you thought in this realm of thinking, exclusion, separation, foreign, without hope, without God, and now as a result of what Jesus Christ has done, he himself is inviting you in on his thought process. With the help of the Holy Spirit, who does what? Points you to him, guides you to him, counsels you to him, comforts you to him. 
with the help of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is saying, hey, think like me. But we have the mind of Christ. What does God feel about my job right now? What does God think about all of this? What is, he's welcoming you into his thought process, into his thought patterns, into what he's thinking like. He's welcoming you. Don't settle for the old when he's beckoning you into the new. You're not just a different person. You're not just good living. You're a new creation. (laughs) You wanna see what you look like under that mask right now? You are a new creation. Only if you believed it. You are a new creation. The old, you can dance all over the old. All over the top of it. Why? Because you're a new creation. Not because of what you've done. It's all right. It's not boasting. It's boasting in him. It's not boasting in your ability. It wasn't about you anyway. He did it. You get to reap the repercussions of it. It's not bad blood. It's not his hostility. It's not animosity. Not ill feeling or friction. But as a result of what Jesus Christ has done, the old is gone and the new has come. The second thing I want you to know today from these verses is this. As a result of what Jesus has done, as a result of his blood, you're at home in a new family. You're at home in a new family. It's not a better version of your family because the reality of it is is that without Christ, you are an orphan. You are fatherless. You, You don't belong without Christ. But as a result of Christ, you are at home in a new family. The verses in uh, Ephesians 2, 14 to 18 say, for he himself is our peace, who has made two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law. With its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in, in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, speaking of Jesus, we, speaking of you and I, both have access to the Father by one spirit. So he came to divide, he came to to break down the dividing wall of hostility and to make two groups one. One group who have access to a father, which reveals that we're a family. We're a family. It's not it's not cute. It's not no we family. We're the most powerful family on the earth. You have brothers and sisters in the most far-flung places on the planet who you don't even know their name. They don't know your name, but you do. They are in spaces and places in which planes don't regularly go to, in which transport doesn't regularly, in which Western civilization couldn't imagine is real and possible in the 21st century. You have brothers and sisters in those spaces and places on the earth, united because of what Christ has done. That's our reality today. How can you be encouraged on, in all of this? How can you be encouraged? 
You've got brothers and sisters all over the earth doing, facing the exact same thing and yet pursuing the Father, seeking the Father, drawing near to the, this, this, this isn't it. This isn't even a fraction of it. You have brothers and sisters meeting in buildings, meeting in living rooms, meeting in spaces all over this country, all over this island, all over this continent, and all over this earth who face much, much tighter restrictions and are hindered much more than you and I could ever be. And they are our brothers and sisters. They are our family. And as a result of the blood of Jesus, we are at home in a new family without Jesus prior to him, separated from God, orphans, fatherless, without hope and without home. I wonder if uh, in a season where movies seem to be what we do with our free time, if any of us have watched Annie, what a great show, right? The first service, uh, I'll not name names, but they were trying to get me to sing one of the songs from Annie. I just had to tell them right there just to back off and leave me be and just let me stick to preaching. But I mean, they pushed me hard enough, but I'll not sing for this service whatsoever. But what a great song in Annie is, it's a hard knock life, right? Everybody sings it, singing and dancing. It's a hard knock life for, right? Like not everybody, because you're looking back at me like never done it like that, wise up, right? Everybody sings it with such energy. You hear the lyrics of this bad boy. Don't it feel like the wind is always howling? Don't it seem like there's never any light? Once a day, don't you want to throw the towel in? It's easier than putting up a fight. No one's there when your dreams at night get creepy. No one cares if you grow or if you shrink. Empty belly life, rotten smelly life, full of sorrow life, no tomorrow life. Santa Claus we never see. Santa Claus, what's that? Who's he? No one cares for you a smidge. When you're a foster kid, it's the hard knock life. Gives you a glimpse into that emotion, gives you like almost like you're just translated into that very moment of, yeah, I suppose you're right. If you allow me to have creative license over this song, I just want to translate it into your spiritual reality prior to Jesus. Don't it feel like the wind is always howling? Don't it seem like there's never any light? Once a day, don't you want to throw the towel in? It's easier than putting up a fight. No one's there when your dreams at night get creepy. No one cares if you grow or if you shrink. Empty belly life, rotten smelly life, full of sorrow life, no tomorrow life. A savior we never see. Jesus, what's that? Who's he? No one cares for you a smidge. When you're far from God, it's the hard knock life. See, prior to Jesus, this was your reality. Just pure facts. But as a result of Jesus... As a result of Jesus, Romans 8, 14 to 17 would say, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. As a result of what Jesus Christ has done, that is our reality, that we can come before God Almighty, the God of the universe, the God who who dwells in unapproachable light. We can come before him with boldness and confidence as bold children and, and say, Abba, Father, 
As a result of the blood of Jesus, you who were once far from God, separated, excluded, foreigners of the covenant, without hope and without God, as a result of what he has done, you have been brought near to Christ. There is no longer bad blood, but as a result of what Jesus has done, the Holy Spirit now lives in us. It's the final thing I wanna share with you on this lovely Sunday, that the Holy Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Not only is the old gone and the new come, not only are you part and at home in a new family, but now God himself dwells within you. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22, and we're gonna read it together. It says, consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, because that's what you were. But fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And in him, you two, who's you two? You, not the band, you are being built. Say, I am being built. Come on. I'm being built. You may hope you are. Wow. You are being built by God himself, right? Not only to just be built, not only to just live a nice little life, but you're being built to, together to become a dwelling in which he lives by his spirit. Now, I know there's some of us and our desire deep in our hearts would be to build our own houses, right? You build your own house. I can promise you this much. It wouldn't have an entry out the back, right? It would have a luxurious big garden fields for days, perhaps. Depends on what type of house you want. Depends on your own personal preferences. But here's what isn't up for question. If you were building your own house and you had the riches available to you that God has, that it would have the whole works, right? You would be leaving nothing out. See those, you've been buying the cheap covers, the marble ones from Amazon. You would have real marble on those worktops in that kitchen. You better believe it. Some of you are breaking the other person's ribs beside you saying, I told you we should take them fake marble off the worktops, love. Come on, right? You would leave, put it this way, you would leave no expense, no expense spurred. So why is your assumption about yourself like God would leave parts of you just kind of to get by. If he's gonna live in you, which he is, I can assure you and promise you with the authority of scripture that he is carefully building you because the Holy Spirit lives in you. His riches in Christ Jesus available to you. He has given you everything you need to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. He is building you with care and with detail and with the, with the closest inspection in the same way that a potter would be forming a mold in clay. Holy Spirit lives in 
you. In the Old Testament, the biggest, most beautiful thing that you would see in any civilization in the Old Testament would have been the temple designed by King David and built by Solomon. And they believed it was the home of the God of the universe. And in Old Testament Torah, it was. It was the overlap moment with God's heavenly kingdom where God lives and rules all creation as king. A priest on your behalf would engage with God. However, because of Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, God now lives in us and we can approach him with freedom and confidence, full access and straight in his face. The holy of holies is now everywhere you go. Why? Because he lives in you. Get this. I don't know what time we're on. Time. Get this. In the Old Testament, the temple was the most beautiful building in civilization. Just facts. That's just Old Testament history. It's just facts. They, no expense spurred. Finest details. That's why some of us haven't looked at the Old Testament in our Bibles for quite some time because we got fed up about the gold curtain poles in First and Second Chronicles, right? We're like, what's this even have to do with me, my word for today? In the Old Testament, it was the most beautiful building in civilization. Now, he chooses you. Now that deflated view of yourself had should just have changed. Because the, the very presence of God lives in you. Hmm, I'm weak. Mm-mm, apparently not. I can't do it. Mm-mm, apparently you can. I'm fragile and broken. Mm-mm. Think again. <laughs> he lives in you. He's made himself at home in you, and you make yourself at home in his love. This isn't bad blood any longer. As a result of the blood of Jesus, the old is gone, the new has come. As a result of the blood of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you. You, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant based on better promises. As a result of what he's done, the Holy Spirit is your guide. The Holy Spirit is your counselor. The Holy Spirit is your dunamis dynamite power. The Holy Spirit is your teacher and the Holy Spirit is your best friend. Hebrews 9 verse 14 says, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences, consciences <laughs> from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. That is our reality. We can talk about the blood of Jesus, which should encourage you, which should strengthen you, which should equip you, which should make you feel overwhelmingly, relentlessly, unconditionally loved, 100%. But the blood of Jesus cleanses your consciences from acts that lead to death in order that you and I might serve the living God that we wouldn't simply hear the word, 
but we would do the word, that we would live out the word of God. Well, my time is up. The worship team are gonna come. I wanna read to you one last section of scripture in Romans chapter seven. I just felt during the first set of worship in the 10 a.m. service, the Spirit prompted me toward these verses. And in Romans chapter seven, verse 14, it says, we know that the law is spiritual. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I don't understand what I do for what I uh, wanna do, I don't do, but what I hate to do, I do. And if I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good, (laughs) for I do not do the good I wanna do but the evil I don't wanna do. This I keep on doing. I wonder if that sounds familiar. Now, if I don't do what I don't wanna do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? So one of the reasons I sense that the Spirit led me to these verses is because pre-Jesus, it's 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 not easy, but it's more bearable to declare that the old is gone and the new has come. But what if, what if I'm following Jesus and still struggling my way through and feeling condemned, feeling ashamed, feeling beat up, feeling knocked down time and time again? Here's Paul saying, the things that I really wanna do, I don't do, and the things that I don't wanna do, I keep on doing. You must bear in mind that as Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome. He didn't write on it, read verse 15, read verse 16, read. There was no verses, it was a letter. In the same way that there was no chapters, it was a letter. So it would flow as a letter. You would read it as a letter. And the letter that you and I have just read, Paul's asking this question to this church in Rome. What what a wretched man I am, who could rescue me? And I don't know if you've maybe asked that question of yourself in different words, but I know I certainly have. What a wretched person I am. Who could save me? But he he continues to write and continues to pen, continues to spew out what's in his heart, what's in his mind. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Oh, thanks be to God, that's great. But if I were to read this like a letter, if I were to just read this in the way in which Paul would have written it, would it say something more to you and I today? Would it feel like it carries much more of a nice punch? 
there ever was a thing? Let's try. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ, but if Christ is in you, then even your body, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation but it isn't to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to, deed to, mis- you put to death and misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. Woo. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. Father, we thank You for the blood of Jesus. Hi everyone, thanks for listening in on our Sunday podcasts. Check us out on our Facebook, Instagram at UT Belfast.